I want to begin by uh, thanking you for being a congregation in a denomination um, that uh, requires its pastors to have um, continuing education. I um, had uh, a week off and um, enjoyed it despite the best efforts of the airline. And honestly, I enjoyed the fact that the airline got me there and back. Um, I eventually did get home, so um, I felt good about that too. Um, and I've got more continuing ed coming up later this month. Um, the, the conference I'm going to at the end of the month is called Catalyst, and it's really kind of an info dump where you just go and then these kind of experts tell you how you're doing it wrong and you need to implement all this stuff. And that's just going to be kind of, you know, drinking from the fire hose for a couple of days. But the conference I went to, the conference I just got back from, it's called Credo, and it's offered by the Presbyterian Board of Pensions. And it is, uh, it is very different. It is, uh, designed to, um, help pastors in the areas of spirituality and health and finances. Basically, uh, places where pastors often have stress in their life. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a great conference. Um, uh, there was some content. I mean, it wasn't totally without content, but the bulk of what I got from that conference was, uh, the 37 other Presbyterian ministers who, uh, I had time with. I had breakfast and lunch and dinner, uh, and then I ate snacks afterwards, uh, which my dietitian and I have already discussed. Shouldn't have done that. But, um, there was a fair amount of eating, but there was table fellowship with, uh, other pastors, and we were able to compare notes and talk about what what's working in our different contexts and what sort of troubles we've had and things like that. It was just a chance to relate to, to peers at a deep level for a long period of time and understand uh, better what ministry is like for different people. And I will have to tell you, this is the second reason I want to thank you. I heard some messed up churches out there. Okay? Um, and you know what? Uh, you know I, I, um, I just don't have the problems that some of my peers have. Um, and, you know, you. Um, I, I am so glad that this is such a healthy church and, um, you have been so gracious to me in my ministry. I, the, the week I missed last week was actually the, the fifth anniversary of my arrival here as your pastor. And, um, so I missed that opportunity. I'm sure you had cake, but so did I. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, I'm so glad that this is a church that is easy to be pastor of, or as easy as pastoring ever is. So, so thank you, and seriously, uh, you know, twist your arm out of shape patting your back, because it has been very um, good to be here. And honestly, my last church was pretty easy to work at, too. Compared to the ones I, I've heard stories from, you know, I don't have the good war stories that, that some of my colleagues have, where you're going, you're kidding. They did what? So, um, so I feel really good about that. But you know what? I went to the conference anyway. You know, I went not because this is a toxic church that I needed a week of escape from. I went because I'm a pastor and I'm exhausted. Uh, the, the reality of the church, um, whether you're in a good church or a bad church, it is a helping profession. Those of you who are in helping professions, you know how stressful they can be. And then add on top of that, um, no one goes into ministry to get rich. And I've got two kids going into college and, uh, or one going in, one already there. And then I've got, um, a church that is undergoing change. And I think honestly, the place that I find the most of my energy going to and the place where I'm most tired is that change. The reality is the church is at a place that it has not seen in probably 500 years, probably not since the Protestant Reformation has the church in the West 
had to deal with the kind of challenges that it's dealing with today. Um, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you remember the bridge in Honduras. Um, there's a picture of it coming up for a little uh, visual reminder. Um, the Choluteca Bridge in Honduras, perfectly good bridge, stood for 60 years, still there, but Hurricane Mitch came and moved the river. And that's really where the church is at. There's nothing wrong with the church that as it's been practiced for the last 500 years, it's just that society has changed and made the church irrelevant to so many of the people in our mission contexts. And so it's exhausting. How can we be that church but also be over on the other side where the river is? So I'm tired, and I know a lot of other pastors are tired. And I started thinking to myself, are we unique is it just us? Only pastors have stress in our life? You know, do you all just get a pass? You know, your life is, you know, hunky-dory. There's no problems anywhere else. And of course not. I know a lot of your stories. I know that you're dealing with stress too. You have toxic work environments, some of you. You have health challenges. You have financial challenges. See, pastors aren't unique. And that started me thinking, you know, I'm kind of there, I'm cheating. They told us, don't bring your, your next sermon topic. And, you know, I mean, who doesn't already know the story of the lost son? So it's in the back of my head, even though they told me not to bring my, my sermon topic. And I'm thinking to myself, what does the church communicate to the world? Are we exhibiting the kingdom of God to the world? You know, so many of us are walking wounded. So many people are dealing with stress, and they are stressed. They are stressful. We're dealing with problems in our lives. And I wonder, what image do we convey to the world about our faith? What do the people at your workplace think about Christianity because they look at you? What do the people in your school think about Christians? Because our text today tells us that What they should think is we're people who celebrate in the midst of our troubles because we have been blessed by God so amazingly, so abundantly. So the big question for today's message is, does the church exhibit God's kingdom? And if not, what are we exhibiting? What are we communicating to the world around us? Not not with our words, not even with our actions, but with our attitude and our outlook. What kind of people are the church? This series that I'm going to be in um, during Lent, I've, I've named Rethink Some More, and that's because I couldn't find time and make it fit in the calendar to have a real sermon series the way I like to do. Um, so this is kind of a footnote to last year's Lenten sermon series called Rethink. This is Rethink Some More. And the idea behind it is that Lent is often considered, this Lent season, the purple, um, is considered to be a season of repentance. And oftentimes we confuse repentance with uh, moping. Um, that we think repentance is all about going around with a gloomy face in sackcloth and ashes. But as we saw last year, and as, as we'll be talking about today and uh, next week, um, repentance simply means to rethink. And what I want to talk about re- rethinking today is rethinking rejoicing. So let's rethink rejoicing. Our, our lesson comes to us from chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel. And, um, and, it's going to address this question. What 
does the church exhibit to the world in the area of rejoicing? Years ago, when I was uh, single, I had a couple of uh, housemates, and we lived in a, a, a building. Uh, we, we, we rented a house in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, and we threw a big party there one night. Now, I have to tell you, we were nerds. Um, we were computer programmers, so whatever your image of party is, it probably is a little bit more relaxed than that. So, um, so uh, it was a party, but it wasn't totally off the hook. Um, nevertheless, our neighbor called the cops. And so it's the first time I've had a neighbor call the cops on my party, uh, first and last time, actually. But that's what I think the scriptures are calling us to be as a people. Our neighbors should be wondering about us and saying, are they ever going to turn that music down? What's with those people? If they don't knock it off, I'm going to call the cops. Jesus is inviting the church to be the neighbor that the neighbor looks at and goes, why should they have so much fun? So let's look at our lesson today. It is from chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. So it says, it begins this way. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Uh, tax collectors and sinners. There was a whole separate category for tax collectors. They were, they were, the, the sinners were the dregs of society and the tax collectors or whatever is below the dregs. It's, it's under the dregs. Um, they are gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law are people whose day job is, is teaching, um, the, the Jewish law. And the Pharisees are people who probably didn't have a paying job to do it, but they just did it because they loved the law. They loved the law of God. So the Pharisees and the tax and the lawyers are looking at them, and they make the exact same complaint that they made ten chapters ago in chapter five. They say, "This man welcomes sinners and eats with them." Notice again the tax collectors. I don't even take notice of the tax collectors. I don't see them. They're right there next to Jesus. I don't even comment on tax collectors. But those sinners, Jesus is eating with those sinners and welcoming them. And so Jesus tells them a parable. He tells them, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. A hundred sheep, in that culture, a typical uh, uh, family might own 15, uh, a dozen or 15 sheep. So this is a big, a big ranching operation, really, for that time. So he's got a hundred sheep, but one of them, he notices, is gone. And he says, doesn't that person, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And before the audience can can think that through, because, you know, they're going to be thinking, man, if I had a 100 sheep, I don't know if I would really worry about one of them, right? Because nobody's got a 100 sheep. Very few people could afford a 100 sheep. But Jesus doesn't even let them think about that. Instead, he raises the stakes. He says, suppose a woman has ten coins and loses one. one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? This coin is a drachma. It's roughly equivalent. It's a Greek coin roughly equivalent to a denarius. That's a a Roman coin. And it's a typical one day's wage for a day laborer. So if you're a hired, hired day laborer, then you'd get about a drachma a day, about a denarius a day. This family has got 10. So think about how much you know of a safety margin you've got in your f- household finances, what you can do if you lose your job. She's got 10 days. Okay, Her family has 10 days reserve, and one of them disappears. So what does she do? 
She lights a lamp and she sweeps that house diligently until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And Jesus says, In the same way, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So those two stories are an answer to the complaint of the Pharisees and the lawyers. But the way I picture this scene, and this isn't in the Bible, you get this for free, I picture the Pharisees and the lawyers rolling their eyes and saying something to themselves like this, well, there may be rejoicing in heaven, but I have standards. Because I don't eat with sinners, and I don't even notice tax collectors. And so Jesus continues. He says, there was a man who had two sons, a hundred, ten, now two. The stakes are incredibly high. It's not just a sheep, it's not just a coin, it's a son. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, and he divided his property between them. And he goes off to the far country, and he parties hardy for a while. And then the way it always does, the money runs out. Things turned upside down, and he's outdoors. So he hires himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed feed pigs. Whatever the most degrading work you cannot imagine ever doing, this is it times six. You just, this is like, I can't imagine it ever got this bad. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. And then he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. Jesus says he has a breakthrough. He repents. He rethinks everything he thought he knew. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. A hired servant is a day laborer. It's the guy you find outside um, Home Depot or something. It's there, There's no obligation. You get paid and that's it. He says, my father treats his hired servants better than this. You know, I've burnt my bridges. He will never take me back as a son. But maybe I could at least upgrade from hired servant of a bad uh, uh, employer to hired servant of a good employer. So I will go back and I will grovel. I've been feeding pigs. I have no pride left. I will grovel. I will say the truth. I, I sinned against heaven and against you. I have no right to be called your son but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father has been watching, waiting. He couldn't send mail because the address is unknown. But the father's been waiting. And he sees him and he's filled with compassion. He runs to his son, throws his arms around him and kisses him. The son begins this apology. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off, says to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he said, I've got standards. Now he said, what's going on? What's with the music? And he called one of the servants 
And the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older son became angry. And he refused to go in. So for the second time in the day, the father humbles himself. First, he hitched up his robes and ran out to meet his son. And now he goes out and grovels in front of his son with all the neighbors watching. He says, son, come in. But he refused. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. He sees himself not even as a hired hand. Remember, the the younger son has come to his senses. He realizes the father treats hired hands well. But the older brother sees his father not just as a bad employer, but as a slave driver. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate. You never gave me a young goat. Huh. It says in verse... 13, he divided his property between them. The father says, son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. You already had the goat. Why didn't you celebrate? But we have to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus ends the story there. He doesn't tell us what the older brother does. But for 2,000 years, God has been pleading with the church to celebrate. Our first point in the handout, God commands us to celebrate. And if we won't, God begs us to celebrate. And that's really the, that's the takeaway. That's the lesson. Everything else here is a bonus. That is the lesson. You know, people have this idea that churches should be somber. They should be holy places set apart by quiet whispers and murmuring. Jesus' most famous parable shows us God on his knees before his son saying, please come in and celebrate. This is what the church should be known for. We should be the people who are off the hook, whose neighbors are calling the cops. Because we celebrate so intensely and so regularly. And I know, I just, I just told you, I was exhausted a week ago. I'm still exhausted. I've got a, I've got a list here. This is a paper. I mean, I should give it to the SPRC. It's, um, it's reasons for attritions among pastors, qualitative report, pastor protection research study by Lifeway Research. And it lists all the troubles that pastors have. I'm going to give it to the SPRC and ask them to help think through how I can craft some things into my uh, work week and, and my time here to be a little healthier as a pastor. So I know it's hard. We're not always in a place where we can we can celebrate. But this story tells us some things we can do to get there. So question two says, remember what you already know about God. It says the son came to his senses and he said, wait, wait, I know my father. I'm watching this guy and the way he treats his employees. And I remember the way my father treated his employees. He thinks through what he knows about God. So remember what you already know about God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I was going to make this an exercise where we turn to our neighbor. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing more of that, but I didn't, I, I, I came up with too many and I want to share them. So I came up with my own. I sat down and just made a list. 
These are some of the things that I already know about God. The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in whom every respect has been tempted as we are, but without sin. We know that all things work together for good for those um, uh, that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God destined us to become his adopted children through Christ Jesus because of his love. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We're no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, we're fellow citizens with God's people and belong to God's household. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. He is the first and last, the living one. And be, he, he died, and behold, he is alive forevermore. And he has the keys of death in Hades. No longer does he call us his servants, but he has called us his friends. And when you ask for anything in his name, he will do it. The peace of God that exceeds all human understanding will keep our hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. In this world, we will have tribulation. But we can take heart, for he has overcome the world. Come to me, he says, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and he will give us rest. Take his yoke upon us and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart, and we will find rest for our souls. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I did that in like three minutes with some Bible software. Where is that passage? Come to your senses. Remember what you already know about God. And then the last two are kind of a pair. Put what you believe into action. It's not enough to sit there in the pig pen thinking, you know, God's actually pretty good. Get out of the pig pen. Go home. Put your faith into action. And number four, don't anticipate a welcome. Don't sit there and say, you know what, when I get there, he'll put a robe on me, and I'm still piggy. I better go wash up first. Don't do that. God knows. The Father knows. He's covered with pig mud. And he still says, bring out the robe, the best one. Put sandals on his muddy feet. Don't tarry till you're better. Don't anticipate your welcome. Let God surprise you. For 2,000 years, God has commanded the church to be a nonstop party. Whether you're celebrating your own salvation or whether you're the older brother who God is inviting to come in and join with the field hands in a celebration for the lost son. God has called the church to be a people characterized by celebration. And I invite you to get happy, not because your circumstances got better, but because you have a father who loves you, who's made amazing promises to you. Let's be the people of God. Let's be the celebrating people of God who are known, the others in the hospital ward say, my disease is not as bad as hers, but I'm not as happy. Be the people 
that the bank manager says, I don't even know how they managed to make it all work. Let's be the people at work where they say, I've got the same boss he does, but he's a lot happier. Let's be the people at school who go, you know, honestly, they're struggling, but they're happy. Let's be people who rejoice, not because of our circumstances, but because we have a Father who loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this parable. Uh, it is so rich and there is so much meaning in it. But we cannot escape the, the repeated lesson over and over and over again that there is rejoicing in heaven when one turns back to you. And so, Lord, help us to be like that. Help us to be people who rejoice, either because we are the young son who we got into our own pig pen because of our own mistakes, or somebody put us there because we were vulnerable. But we know that you will welcome us in a way that we could not anticipate. And Lord, if you have already welcomed us, if we are the older brother in this story, let us go in. Don't make, don't let us make you beg. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.